Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. Hello, Marcella. Hi, Mac. Hi. I, I think you're going to be really happy with this author. And as you can see, she is decked out to, to inspire a lot of fantasy in general. I mean, for anyone else that doesn't see her, she is in a beautiful white gown with some gold jewelry around her shoulders and neck and a crown above her red hair. And it is, and she's got a lot of knickknacks and everything fantasy behind her as well. So she's definitely ready to go and telling us about her new book series, The Birth of the Fae. Now, here's one of the things I really enjoyed about her book is all the twists and turns of who do you trust, who you don't trust, and you'll be flip-flopping like crazy on this. So what you're so, saying is that she'll have to come back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She's got at least, what, six books in her right now? There's three of them that are published, or is it four? Four. There's four of them that are published. That's right. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give you the queen of the fae herself, Miss Danielle Orsino. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm very happy to be here. I remember our first pre-interview chat, and it was a few months ago. I think we talked for like an hour and a half, almost two hours, if something mm -hmm. like that. Yes. But we're also both pretty geeky and we love things fantasy as well as cosplay and all these cons and stuff like that. But I'm going to stop talking for a little bit and let you introduce yourself. Please tell us something about yourself that we can't find on the internet. Okay. Something that you cannot find on the internet about me. When I was little, I thought I was going to marry either Bob Hope or Bruce Lee. Don't ask me why, but yeah, when my dad would ask me like, who are you going to marry when you grow up? And I was like, I don't know. It's either going to be Bob Hope or Bruce Lee. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The mind of a four-year-old. For some reason, I had a crush on Bob Hope, but then Bruce Lee was Cato, so, you know, that's really cool. So, yeah, it was a toss-up between Bob Hope and Bruce Lee. Go figure that one. So, yeah, those, that's something you will not find on the internet about me, I guarantee, but cat's out of the bag now. Maybe you could marry Jackie Chan. He's like a cross between the two. Yeah, I know. That's, that's like a good hybrid blend, right? Comedy and kung fu. There you go. Well, you definitely have a background in martial arts. What what style was it? I couldn't find that on there. I'm I started out in taekwondo mm -hmm. and when I was finished or felt like I wanted something different, I moved into kung fu and wushu. Oh, I definitely think I have a, a lady I really want to introduce you to later on, but we'll we'll talk about that <laughs> another time. But here's here's something that a lot of people probably don't know is the fact that you were inducted into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame back in 1999. Was that correct? Yes, sir. 1999, I was inducted into the World Martial Art Hall of Fame as Female Martial Artist of the Year. Besides, you know, being a martial artist, she's also a licensed practical nurse. And here's where the story comes into play. And I'm just going to start it out by saying this one phrase. Chaos be upon you. 
Can you explain the story behind that for everyone else? So, Chaos Be With You is the Dark Fae blessing in Birth of the Fae. The way it came about was I had just left nursing and I was going to be a personal trainer because I, I couldn't do nursing anymore. And I was working at a gym and one of my fellow workers was in the middle of transitioning. And so not a lot of people knew. It was, a, you know, it was between her and whatever. So someone, a member came in and he was a Golden Gloves boxer. He had a problem with her lifestyle. And so he got in her face and said some not nice things. And it looked like it was going to become physical. And so someone said, Danny, you need to get to the front and deal with this. Because, you know, once again, the martial artists go go deal with this problem. So I went up there. What's the problem? Some words were exchanged. And he started spewing some hate. So I put my arm around my coworker and said, it's just us two girls up here. I, I don't know what you're saying. It's just me and my girlfriend. And, you know, and he kept going on and going on. And he's saying some really nasty, hateful things. And he's ready to take a swing. I back my friend away. I say, look, go, go call security. Go call the cops. I got this. And she's, you know, starting to cry. I'm like, I got this. Don't worry about it. Takes a swing. I, I can handle this. So we're going back and forth with him. And I see that he's wearing a very large crucifix about his neck. And I look at him and I'm like, you're a God-fearing man. You know, we're going back and forth having this debate. And I say, in church, you say, peace be with you. And he goes, yeah, I do. And he's, once again, we're going back and forth on the religious thing. And I go, yeah, well, I worship the Fed. And I'm in the process of writing the book. And he goes, yeah. And I said, you know, it's, this is America, whatever, going back. And I go, and I say, chaos be with you. And I just, it just comes out of my mouth. Like, you know, and I'm just trying to diffuse it. And at that point, the cop walks in. And the cop hears me say, chaos be with you. And the cop looks at me, he goes, oh, Sabrina. The Teenage Witch, I watched that show on Netflix too. And I'm like, sure. So he's looking at me, he's going, chaos be with you. And we're kind of laughing and the guy's getting so mad because he just wants to stay on his hate rant. So I'm telling him what happens and the cop starts laughing. He's going, chaos be with you. I'm like, no officer, chaos be with you. And the guy starts going, peace be with you, peace be with you. And we're just exchanging it. And this guy's getting more mad, yelling about peace be with you. So the guy winds up, the cop takes the guy out. And as he's laughing, I go, have a good day, officer. He's like, no, chaos be with you. And he, he like walks him out. So my friend comes back out of the office and she's like, what does chaos be with you mean? And I'm like, I don't know. I just made it up at the time. I'm like, but that's my new dark fade blessing. And it means, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, it means take control of your destiny. Don't let chaos control you. And my friend wound up saying it again because she's like, I'm taking control of my destiny in her transitioning. And so it kind of came out of two different things. And then it wound up working its way into the story. Yeah. And it definitely is something I really enjoyed from our original talk. And for all those that when we first start out in the book itself, the prologue is very much sitting on Christian theology itself. Mm -hmm. and But it's the way that you developed the story wrapped around that that was very interesting to me. And some of the the materials used in the architecture of the Shining Kingdom, the weaponry and the armor are very much 
on verge of not only holistic in uses that I've researched, but also in terms of the geography of those materials as well. They're very beautiful looking. Hermelin, the other one, Arcadian? No, it's it's from Canada. And I cannot remember off the top of my head. It's the blue, the blue material. Oh, Labradorite, Angelite. I use, let me think. There's blue tourmaline. Black kyanite is the armor itself. That's but what it was, yeah. Lucifer actually wears blue kyanite when he changes his armor in the prologue to represent truth because he's mm-hmm. seeking truth initially. So the black kyanite is what the power brigade wear to repel negativity. But he right. turns around and wears blue kyanite just to be different because he wants to be Lucifer. You know, well, he's, he's all, yeah, yeah, he also allows his hair to be a lot longer than it's mm-hmm. supposed that it's to allowed. be. allowed, yes. That is allowed. But with, even with that, it was the interactions between the angels that really were interesting as well between, you know, the fallen angels, the tempted ones. And then all of a sudden they just, the punishment was just extreme right punishment pain and everything right at the beginning in, instantly and but it for me it was the angels that were within your within the story itself were called virtues and those were the ones that were really if i am saying this right helped develop the world and in charge of basically i would say managing more or less within the within the development, mm-hmm. uh, but even when the doors were locked to keep Lucifer and all the fallen out, it also locked them out. And and in terms of the way we're looking at how war in reality is, there's a lot of people that are innocent that get hurt, and they have to deal with the same punishments with that. Was there a specific message? you were clearly sending to the readers what in regards to the innocent bystanders within war, or was it mainly just to set the mood and the motivation for us to feel something for one of the protagonists, Z? It's a little bit of both in that sense. When, when the shining kingdom locks their gates, it's done in a way to say, yes, we could look at it as borders. You know, you could look at it as those being just left out or the innocent bystanders in war, you know, that kind of collateral damage, you know, some people can look at it as, oh, we're, we're making a border stance. No, it's more just the idea of there's always collateral damage in war. Always. It doesn't matter. There's always something. But it's also that there's two sides in everything. You know, it's also how the, how the creator handles war versus Lucifer. Lucifer pulls his demonic horde back and goes to his area. He takes everybody with him. Whereas the creator's like, well, some of you getting left out. Oh, well, you know, and that's how he handles it. So it's just showing that two leaders handle it totally differently. And then it's up to the reader to decide where they want to go and where they want to feel whatever. Do you want, do you feel for the virtues? Do you not? Do you feel for the power brigade? Or are you looking at Lucifer a little differently? Like what's his strategy? You know, which way do I go here? I'm leaving it up for the reader because I think sometimes it's more fun as a reader to be able to make your own assessment and make your own judgment and also to leave it, to leave those breadcrumbs along the way. I don't like it when everything's explained because sometimes it's just not fun, but it's also to give Z that moment on the mountain where she can kind of say, I'm going to get my 
my feelings out and then make her decision on, am I going to end my life up here? Or am I going to keep going? Where's the rage? And is it all rage? Is it sadness? Is it self-pity? What is it? It all kind of has to bubble up and here are her reasonings. So it's a little bit of motivation. And, and, you know, I'm really happy that you you started to talk about her her feelings in regards to this, because you also picture how all the virtues got onto the beach and singing and trying to make that connection again after the gates were locked. And all of a sudden, after a while, them not getting an answer, not getting what they would normally have with the glory and everything it seemed a variety of them just completely went on different ways of in regards to dealing with the grief. So I really wanted to talk to you about that one because it really felt like the grieving was so immense and wanted to really understand your thought process when giving these emotions to these virtues and just the way that they dealt with it. Part of it for me was things I had observed from being a nurse and watching people with an illness come to me, especially a chronic illness such as Lyme disease, which is where I was at the clinic I was at. And some of it was because some of these patients had lost their jobs and their life was their job. That was it. You know, they had hung their whole personality, their whole status on a job. And when they lose the job, who am I? And some of it was they let the chronic illness become who they are. So a lot of this was about just personal identity and what happens when you lose that aspect of yourself and you hang yourself on that one thing. When you lose it, who are you? Some people become depressed. Some people become grief stricken and some forge their own path and can move forward. So a lot of that motivation was from that, of just that observation. And even myself in a sense of, Once I was done competing in martial arts, who was I? I didn't know for a minute. I was like, once I hung up the gloves and everything, I'm like, okay, all the accolades, all the awards, now what am I? Where do I go? What do I do? You know, do you just move into something else that's competing? You know, you have to kind of figure out who you are. So when you don't have that sense of self and it's always on it, the external, you have to be able to go internal. And you have to learn about those things. So a lot of that, that scene in particular about the virtues becoming depressed or or realizing all they were were their jobs. That's it. I think a lot of us can relate to, especially in the last couple of years when, you know, with COVID and people losing jobs and things like that. We all kind of know somebody who was that's all they're about is their job or their their car, their this, their that. That can all be taken away in a second. It was really interesting, especially reading it and just going through these waves of emotion that she was feeling on that mountain. It really felt like you were honestly going through those five stages and that transitioning, the unknown of what you're going to do, but you know, you have to because you get, especially the way that you described the way that her body was reacting to everything. Marcella, did you have a question? Yeah, I've been trying to unmute for a bit now. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't see it. Go ahead. No, blah, blah. Mac, blah, 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 blah. I know, I know, yeah. I know. So my question was, and I don't even know if this is going to fit in okay, because this, I, I wanted to ask this early on. What was the initial inspiration for this plot, this book, the story itself? 
That's a great question. Thank you. I actually met a patient while I was nurse and him and I became very close. And he was actually my first stick when I was doing IV therapy, everything. And he just needed a distraction in the IV chair. He didn't want to do it anymore. And so one day he just looked at me and he said, Danny, I don't want to do this. He's like, so find a way to entertain me, do something, keep me in this chair. And so as we started talking, I said, well, tell me something interesting about yourself. And he said, I was recruited by the CIA out of college. So we made a couple jokes about, you know, we could have gone to Roswell. We could have found out this or that. And it led us down the rabbit hole. And I said, well, you know where Lyme disease really comes from. And he's like, yeah, Plum Island. And out of my mouth to this day, I don't know what made me say this. I said, no, the Fae. I was not reading any books about the Fae, nothing. I was not a fairy believer. And he was like, the Fae. And I'm like, yeah. And then I said, he's like, who are they? And I looked at him and I said, angels that were locked out of heaven. Still don't know why I said it. And I would tell him a piece of this story orally every time that he came in and sat in the chair. And that's how this happened. It was just something off the top of my head. I would just sit here and tell him when I saw him. And if something happened in the IV room, I'd weave it into the story. So the doctor had a um, black Labrador. And that's where I got the idea of black dragon for the king. It was all because of just what was going on in the IV room. And he was like, you need to go home and write the story down. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. One day, yeah. I'm going to go to PA school. I'm going to go be a physician's assistant. I ain't get time for this. You know, that kind of thing. And I just started writing it. So it really came, I don't know where, it was just somewhere in my head. And that's really where it came from. Well, that's really interesting. And I was I was listening to what you were saying about the Kyanite because, Meg, did you tell her? So I figured this is the reason you thought I was going to love her so much. So my 10-year-old daughter, who is autistic, owns her own crystal shop. So, of course, now I'm sitting here going, oh, I know what kyanite is for. And, I, and I, she usually is the one where I'll go to and say, what does this do, honey? But that was one of the major ones that we were selling for a while. And it's not that easy to procure at this very moment. So, uh, yeah, I actually enjoyed that. Are there any characters, main character or side character, any that are based off of you or anyone that you know? Maybe the patient that you had uh, originally birthed the idea with. Yes. Every character in the book is somebody I know. <laughs> Everybody. The patient who inspired this is Agent Graham in the next volume. Birth of a Succubus is my patient. Hoggle, the metal gnome, is my dad. His sidekick, Marco, is my Uncle Ronnie. Lady Serena is my best friend from high school. So everybody is somebody I know. So if you, if I didn't like you, look out. I'll probably kill you in a book. My Yorkie Carlos is Los the Dragon. He is a Jarvok's trusty sidekick, but everybody is somebody in a way in my book. I probably am a little Desdemona and there's a little Aurora somewhere, a little naivete. And here's something that a lot of people don't know. The bishops are named the bishops because the head of my organization in Taekwondo was Mr. Bishop and he hated my guts and he was my main villain. So that's why the bishops are the bishops. Really? That's really it? Like, I'd like to give you some deep, you know, meaning to the bishops. Like, oh, they mean this in biblical. No, Mr. Bishop just hated my guts. And I thought he looked like a salamander. So when I needed to make the bishops the bishops, I was like, well, the main villains? Bishops. There you go. You know, sometimes it's just pettiness that gets you. 
No, it's great. Yeah. And it's, it's taking creative liberties with your source material. I have plenty of characters that I kill off all the time. Yeah. Because I really there are people would. who don't like me. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, you want to play? I'll put you in a book. Uh-huh. Yep. You're going to die. You know, it's kind of one of those moments where I'm just like, yeah, we're going to be like that. And I, I do do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am that petty sometimes. So morning, everybody now. Be nice to me. Oh, man. There's just so much here that I can just enjoy because I know exactly where a lot of this stuff is going to go. So when I get to those other books, I know exactly who everybody is and oh, yeah. I know exactly the reasons why. But, you know, this is I, I love how this happens sometimes. And it was interesting when you're looking at a lot of the characters, because, again, one of my favorite things is creating the characters and developing them for other authors. And there was a lot of different things within each one of those characters, the virtuous in general at this point, that were really just more, there were so many emotions that were going from left to right, up and down and in between that they were so realistic, it really scared me at some point, especially with the power. There was a lot of PTSD in the, involved trying to adjust to a life that he never thought he would ever have to live. And it was a lot of the traditions and procedures that soldiers have. But mm -hmm. at this point, he's in the middle of war. Something's happened in terms of why these other angels within his platoon took their own life. Were there other traditions besides Christian theology mm -hmm. that you pulled from to really produce parts of that scene specifically? I spoke to my brother, who's a veteran. That was the first thing I did. I talked to him because I wanted to be respectful and I wanted to make sure that it was portrayed in a respectful way. I pulled samurai tradition, things like that, to give him a full, fully realized character. That was, it was important because I did want the powers to be a metaphor. It's one of the few times I probably did get specific in, I don't want to say political, but a sense of I wanted the post-traumatic stress to be realized. And that's what that was. The power brigade and the weeper army are definitely symbols of post-traumatic stress because I did want that featured, especially because of my brother and the, what I saw my brother go through in the second Iraq conflict and Afghanistan. I wanted that displayed because I do have so much respect for what my brother's been through, especially because book two is dedicated to my brother. So I, I wanted that featured. I did take samurai tradition. I took just the tradition of being in that, being a soldier. You know, the way he kneels is more Japanese style, you know, with his knees apart, head down. You know, that's a humility tradition in martial arts. So I, I took a lot of that. It's a lot of a martial art thing, but him just being protocol and going by it and, and him being a company man. The power of the unnamed soldier is company man. He's going to follow tradition. He, he is very honorable. He's noble. What he fights for, he 100% believes he is protecting the Shining Kingdom. He would never do anything to go against it. And he believes everything he's doing is justified. And in a sense, there's a certain amount of him that while he would never go against anything, 
he's just falling in line. He's never going to question what he's doing. You know, he really does believe it. So that's why when he looks at the other angels who have sided with Lucifer, his attitude is you made your choice. I'm making mine. You made yours. I'm not judging you, but I will fight against you. And it's, that's all it's about. He's kind of like, you've chosen your side. I've chosen mine. It's nothing personal now. We're just going to do what we need to do. And whoever wins, wins. And that's it. He's not thinking anything more, but he's also somebody who's caught up in his job. So once he loses it, now who is he? And that's, that's part of his dichotomy. But I did want the post-traumatic stress to seep in because he has choices. So he has to stick to the protocol. He's doing everything, but really there's nobody there to tell him that. He's going by what he knows because if he's faced with choices, what do I do with choices when you've never had any? So there's so much to him to whereas Z's on the mountain being like, screw you, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to yell at you, yell at you. He's like, fall in line, fall in line. Just don't, don't look over here. There's stuff going on to the right. Stay center, stay center until he figures out what's going on. And then he goes off the deep end. So, you know, they both are dealing with trauma totally differently. And that's really what part of that whole story is about is, you know, what happens when two people have to deal with the exact same event? How do they do it? Yeah, especially from different points of view Mm -hmm. within that same situation. And you can also notice that there's there's even more of that military tradition in a way just because of when he's trying to get back to heaven. He doesn't care. Like you said, he's like, okay, I've done my duty. I have buried my comrades. I have done everything. I've got my chakras up and running again. Everything's great. Now I just need to get back to heaven and help my brothers in arms. That's it. And during that time, you also notice that there's something within the air that the other virtues start to feel because they start seeing the star going straight up mm-hmm. and they all know what it is and they're all rooting for him. And all of a sudden he just starts to fall like a fireball yeah. to the ground. And right when it starts going down, everybody's emotions, just that's it. We, we know this is, there's no more hope. Yes. There is a point where even Z's like, you know what? I know what I need to do now. I am yes. now going to be strong enough for everybody else. I'm not feeling guilty. I'm not feeling bad for myself. Now I am going to be that rock for them. What was it about that situation that all of a sudden, boom, just made her do a 180 and just like, okay, I'm doing this now. I think it was the loneliness on the mountain and not getting an answer. She knew in that moment what that felt like. So now she's climbing down. What was she going to climb down for? Why make that trek down if you're just going to be hopeless? So here she is. Something was able to get all the way back only to fall. You could either be that or what are you going to do? Hide. So it was that. That's what made it. She's watching this star climb up and then decimate. Were you going to let it just happen in vain? Or were you going to finally say if it could take that risk to climb all the way back up to the shining kingdom only to fall? 
if it's willing to make that sacrifice, I can climb down from this mountain and be a beacon of hope. Forget my own feelings, but I can do that. So she's watching that star and it, it provided that motivation and that hope for her. Even though in her eyes it ended badly, she knows that that could be the end of her kin because there's a bunch of people watching. There's a bunch of virtues watching that. She knows this is probably not going well. So she has seen so many of them choose oblivion. She doesn't want that for them. There's, there's an inherent empathy in Z that's to her detriment at times. She's kind of got a little touch of toxic positivity in her deep down. And she's just like, I'm going to be maternal. So in a way, she's doing it for two reasons. One of them is selfish because she's like, let me take my feelings, stuff them way deep down and go take care of everybody else. Because I don't want to think about what I just witnessed. And then part of her is also like, screw you, creator. I'm going to get everybody on my side. You know, and then there's, there's a little bit of, I'm going to be that boss babe. So she's doing it for different reasons. But what she witnessed is this star just sacrificed itself. It will not be in vain. I feel like you know a lot about the book. I probably don't have to read it now, Mac. Yeah, we rarely do that. So You will. I know you will. When you get the copy, you definitely will. I have a long list. That's true. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be on the list. We know. Yeah. So this is usually where we wrap things up. And we do like a, these, Mac used to like to call it the, the rapid fire round. But um, I'll give you a moment to think about the questions. I usually ask three questions. I've kind of brought it back down to two. Mac likes to ask me the third question, but really it's just two really important questions. What is your writing kryptonite? Sex scenes. That's a first. I'm really not good at those. I'd, I'd like first. to tell you I'm, I'm better at those, but the first like real sex scene I had to write for Birth of a Succubus, it took me a month. And before that, I stared at that page for three weeks going, here I go. I'm going to write this any day now. And I would get like three words out. And then I'd be like, yep, here it is. Because all I kept thinking is my dad's going to read this. Oh my gosh, my dad's going to read this. I... I, and then I'd stop writing and that's, yeah, I'm, I'm really not good at those. And then when I finally finished it, I sent it to, I call him Yoda, my developmental editor editor. And I sent it to him and I'm like, I don't want you to say what you thought of it, but I want it. I want you to tell me what you thought of it. And he's like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, don't like, you know, I wrote it, but don't tell me too much. And he just wrote back. This is hot. And I went, okay. Don't say wow. anything else. I'm like, that's a la, 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 la. Don't want to hear anything else. Yeah, that is definitely a new one for us. Right, Mac? Yeah. And there was one other author I thought might do that, but she didn't. So my last question, yeah. is there a famous quote that inspires you to keep on doing what you're doing? I like the, I like the idea of Wonder Woman. And it's not necessarily that inspires me to keep doing it, but the idea of, you know, before you raise your hand, extend it. And I think that's helpful for just authors in general, because I think we should be raising each other up instead of thinking of this as a competition. You know, there's enough readers out there. We can all kind of, hey, high five each other. Like, good job, especially women in fantasy. There's not a lot of us out there. You know, we can kind of be like, we're not all George R. R. Martin. You know, just high five. Good job. You wrote a cool book. Good fight scene. Whatever it is. I think we could all just kind of extend a hand instead of being like, 
we're in competition and blah, blah, blah. And we all have to be Cassandra Clare or Sarah J. Moss. You know, that's not it. We're, we're all authors. We can just, you know, hey, high five. Good job. You wrote a book. You finished a book. That's amazing. I think that's what we could be doing. So I, I kind of like to live by that a little bit more. I love when we can actually bring in people that not only dress the part, but also just live that part. And I, I think we need more people like Danielle out there doing this, inspiring people, creating things just out of the blue and then moving with them. And, you know, Danielle, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Could you please inform everybody of any events or any new insights into your books that are going to be out soon? Just give us an insight of like what's next for you. Shameless self-promotion is what you're asking me for. And that's okay because I'm pretty really much. good at it. So pretty that's much. Cool. There, go for it. <laughs> that's fine. Some things going on. On September 20th, book five drops, A Faye is Done. So I'm super excited about that. I also have my little novella going on, which is Fire, Ice, Acid, and Heart. It's dark fae centric and dragon centric for all my readers that were like, please give us something dark fae. You guys got it with that book. So I'm excited. But that one's out now. And A Fae is Done comes out September 20th. I will be at the Louisville Book Fest in late October. I'm at Southern Book Fest in Nashville. And I will be at GalaxyCon. December 2nd through the 4th in Columbus, Ohio. So that's pretty cool. You can check out for all things Faye at birthofthefay.com at fourhorsemanpublications.com. That's the number four. And for all things locked out of heaven, you can check me out on the Bookie Call app. It sounds like Booty Call. It's meant to sound like that because Bookie Call is where you can find your next great book date. And just swipe right or left and you'll find a bunch of cool books. But Locked Out of Heaven is on that. So, you know, you might want to swipe on Locked Out of Heaven and find out why it's great to date Locked Out of Heaven. But I have all those cool things going on. And then I just made Screen Crafts Animation quarterfinals for Locked Out of Heaven. So fingers crossed that maybe we get a Locked Out of Heaven animation special soon. We're still working on it. But, you know, you never know because my dragons need to be seen. So that's all the shameless self-promotion I have for today. But, you know, give me time. I'm sure I could come up with something else. You know, you never know. But that's what I got, guys. So thank you very, very much for having me. It was absolutely wonderful. And I hope to see you again real soon. All right. We'll give our two cents. Well, Marcella, $200, something like that. It's 2000 now. It just keeps going up every, every, I have every to, time. I have to advertise and I have to, you know, my value. Of it's course. It. Like, it's, you can keep it at two cents if you like. Well, I, I try to be the extreme of you. So, you know, might as well keep it at two cents for me, 2000 or whatever else later on for you. But what do you think, Marcella, about our guest today? Uh, well, I don't feel like I have to read the book now, Mac. You gave me like, like a shit ton of stuff that it's going to be like, okay, well, you know, and I've, I've read this. I might as well pass the next hundred pages and go to the parts I haven't read, <laughs> but really interesting. A lot of, I understand now why you thought I would like her so much. There's a lot of similarities in character, I think in writing style and, uh, and more. 
and more. The whole thing with her coworker. It's what really got my attention at that point. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. And and the whole crystal thing. That kind of blew me away because of our, you know, our personal business. So yeah, no, I I like her. I like her. I'll leave it at that. Well, you know what I think about her. I like I said at the beginning, she's she's created something that not a lot of people would really think would work. And yet it has so much so that she's got a following that is amazing that love her to death with her, all of her, all of her fayness that she wears around. I'm pretty sure she wears it out just to go get groceries or something to that effect. She she's agreeing with that, but no, I, I think it's an awesome read. Everybody needs to go out there and get the birth of the Fay book one locked out of heaven continue that one go into the second one the third one the fourth and the fifth and you know just keep going until she stops with that one and then go into another series because the way that she weaves these words are absolutely amazing and you know she's already on the verge of being one of the literary icons in in the fantasy world in general so i want to thank daniel for being our guest today marcella as always Love having her with me and getting the behind the scenes of all these books. And for everybody else, thank you for listening to us and continue to share our show with everybody and anybody. And especially go after our sponsors on this one. Our sponsor is Text for More, which is a text-based digital marketing tool. Go to textformore.com to learn more about them. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being with us. And like I always say, keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.